Radio. It's time now for our Thursday Dialogue. The Dialogue with Clement Maniatela. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 702. Do you have a celebrity that you follow, appreciate and respect so much that whatever they decide to do, you follow on that if you can follow on it? If they decide to wear New Balance shoes or Nike brand of a, speci- a specific shoe, a specific item, you go buy it because they have it. I want us to have a conversation this morning about the pool factor in celebrity brands, right? The business of influencing and brand marketing, whether directly or indirectly. And I say indirectly because sometimes... That's precisely what happens. I mean, just recently, MarketWatch reported that American singer Taylor Swift's association with the American National Football League League actually boosted the league's brand value by over $122 million in just a few months. And that's because Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kels, who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. She has attended the games in support of her boyfriend. Now the NFL viewership has increased by 53%. That's crazy. According to Apex Marketing, Swift, Taylor Swift has effectively generated an additional $331 million in brand value for the Chiefs and NFL. And that's the Taylor Swift effect. I think we've got other artists locally and internationally who also command this kind of influence and I want to know who those artists are for you. Um, I mentioned earlier that Caspar Vest has worked with um, a shoe brand, Drip. In fact, I made a mistake earlier. I said Batu. Um, and then there was someone who sent me a tweet. Thank you for, for that correction. Uh, the Drip shoe brand. And after that collaboration, that had an impact on the success of the shoe brand, No. So who are those artists for you? There was a time when, for instance, Taylor Swift was spotted wearing New Balance sneakers. And after that, the brand saw a 25% increase in traffic. So what is the pull factor in celebrity brands? What impact do they have in consumer decision making? And do you sometimes make your decisions as a consumer based on what your favorite celebrities or people you admire follow, what they enjoy to do? Like, do you get into a particular sport because your favorite celebrity is dating that person who is into that sport? Do you have celebrities that have that kind of influence on, on you? I gave an example earlier of Michael, Michael Jordan's endorsement of Nike's Air Jordan shoes. That was a movement that helped the brand establish itself as a leading sports brand. It increased sales significantly. So give us a call to join this conversation on 011-883-0702. You can also send us your WhatsApp voice notes on 072-702-1702. Let me introduce you um, to, to my guests. Um, we have uh, Tsepo Matseba, um, who is joining us um, via Zoom. Tsepo is the Managing Director for Reputation Fest. Tsepo, thank you for making time for us. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Clement, and thank you for inviting us. It's great to be here. Mm, wonderful. Um, thank you so much uh, for making time for us. We also have Sanesh Maharaj, 
who is the head of PR, uh, consumer and influence at Ogilvy. Sanesh, thank you so much for also joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Clementon, to everyone. Great to be back again. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll bring in later on Jamie Mighty, uh, who is a social uh, commentator. Tsapo, what, what do we understand about this business of of influencing and, and brand marketing? Because famous people seem to really influence people in different ways. I, I said earlier that sometimes it's directly, sometimes it's it's indirectly. I mean, with Taylor Swift, she found love. She happens to be dating someone who's in the NFL. And then suddenly that increases the value of the NFL. The viewership for the NFL increases as well. So talk to us about that business of influencing. Yeah, no, Clement, um, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity. I think that um, the business of uh, uh, influencer um, uh, has a couple of legs, um, and I want to make a distinction away from influencers in the beginning just to talk about the business of, uh, let's say, celebrity, because uh, influencer has become this, the, the concept of a social light, a social conversation in the context of our digital communication today in the context of social media. Mm. But if we talk about um, influencers in the context of uh, individuals who have created equity around their brands over a period of time, um, that business is, was, is about um, how individuals have created a, a level of equity uh, that brands can rely on and that brands can leverage uh, on a consistent uh, uh, basis. And uh, uh, you look at historically brands such as Oscar Pistorius, even though things went wrong there, uh, those brands uh, held a lot of equity in the market. I remember at some point, Oscar actually was one of the brand ambassadors of a brand such as Discovery uh, a Group. And you can extend that now to brands globally such as uh, Kanye West, mm. uh, even though we are watching uh, the level of engagement and robust arguments between him and uh, uh, the brand Adidas, um, yeah. uh, which is one of the brands that he, he, he supported. And then in South Africa, there are many uh, um, uh, examples of brands such as this, including um, uh, key brands uh, such as um, at, um, uh, Castle Light, for example, and the association that they had with uh, Caspanio Vest, for example. Um, and, and there are many, many, many examples. So it's about um, how the individual has uh, manages to create uh, equity and, and, and really stretch their, their um, social power, um, their uh, trade uh, either in music or sports and um, to create value and value that brands can rely on uh, to promote their own uh, propositions and mm. um, that's the, the really the essence of it if you take it to the social media landscape and um, we can extend it now to um, a, a individuals who have influenced and have created a large following online to an extent that that is becomes um, valuable for organizations and they become almost like media platforms themselves for organizations to actually uh, take uh, that opportunity and build their brands and we've seen many of those examples again here in south africa um, and around the world yeah sanesh there's direct there's indirect influencing i mean in the case of taylor swift it's not like she went out and said hey go buy these t-shirts hey come and watch the nfl um 
it just happens because she happens to be associated with someone in the NFL. So that that kind of social power then, why do consumers want to align themselves with celebrities that they admire and the things that celebrities they admire are into? James, uh, I always come back to this. People believe people. Uh, how many times have you seen something on social media or uh, someone that you follow avidly, be it in specific sectors or sport or lifestyle, um, or history or knowledge sharing? You are drawn to their perspective on life and how they live life. It's mm. sort of having your best friend or your mentor on social media um, and trying to uh, mimic a little bit of that life or share part of that life and the way you live and how you do things. Um, influencers and celebrities understand their audience. In the case of Taylor Swift, uh, she has had uh, the young Gen Z audience in the hand for many years. Mm. She's had followers dedicated to her music. You've seen uh, from her shows and the way her engage with her on social media. Uh, she paved a new way for the music industry where she challenged uh, the record label and went out and recorded her own song again. Um, so people love that admiration from a young artist changing the landscape for music. And what's not to admire about it? And suddenly pop culture, you're seeing her fall in love with uh, someone in the NFL we're, her fans are naturally going to follow into that. Earlier, you alluded to the fact that, yes, the end needed a change. Um, there was a stat that I was in preparation for this, where apparently the NFL in 2020, a survey was done where they saw 40% of their young Gen Z audience fall away. The NFL needed to do something. Wow. And I, I always come at it with the PRI and I always interrogate everything that I see online or in media how much of this was orchestrated versus it being That's what i'm thinking now sanesh <laughs> <laughs> because the, the the art of doing influencer marketing in is very much what we saw with taylor um, and her partner uh, it happened so organic every brand dreams of organic uh and connection like that and partnering with an influencer but in our world orchestrated you have to partner with right creators make sure that they have a connection with the brand so um i definitely think that celebrities today and when we look at taylor swift is pretty much there's so much to learn from that experience and we're mm. created um, uh, in our own organic way yeah yeah jamie mighty a social commentator i'm also joining this this conversation jamie i, I didn't think about this until sanesh mentioned yeah. it, the possibility of things being worked on behind the scenes and we think, oh, look at how cute and organic that is. Uh, when in fact, that, that was quite strategic. I suppose that the disadvantage with someone who's got so much social power is, yes, it may work for you as the NFL, but what happens if they break up? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, this particular uh, Taylor Swift narrative, I, I don't know whether there's been any uh, contriving, but it's a it's 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 a, a, a theory that is showing up a lot on, on social media and even in other circles. Um, yeah. So it obviously comes with implications if they break up because she may move away from the sport in the, in the sense of, um, the kind of following she's brought. But mm -hmm. as I was listening to the conversation, I was just thinking to myself that it's not everybody who has this kind of influence. And sometimes mm -hmm. you, you see a distinction, right? So for Michael Jordan, the reason why the Jordan sneaker worked is because it was a reflection of his excellence mm -hmm. and people wanted to have a taste of that. And mm -hmm. black men predominantly are, 
you know, in America, they play a lot of sports. They're very athletic and basketball is the dominant sport. But the shoe also has, you can go off the court onto the road. And what it then became is that it became streetwear. Mm. And that allowed mm. that brand to have the kind of dominance that it had. But if you if you look at what makes someone a tastemaker in that space, is they they actually have to have credibility within that particular area of influence. So, for instance, if you look at Rihanna, right? Rihanna was viewed by many people to be a fashion-forward type of person, mm-hmm. somebody who cares about aesthetics, somebody who is a savage, if you will, right, in terms of just the aesthetic, the lifestyle. And I think that's what made Fenty successful, you know? Um, when you then compare with uh, Beyonce, she's had challenges launching her fashion brand and her lifestyle brands because she didn't have credibility with the community. In that sense. Exactly. So if you think about all of the yeah. things that Beyonce has done from, is it House of Dion and or is it something like that? House of, the, the one she did with her mother, she did a brand and then she went to Ivy Park and then she went, kept on going. Mm. But if you contrast her with Kanye West and Rihanna, from his college backpack aesthetic days, Kanye was always positioning himself as, I'm a fashion forward rapper. I am actually a style icon, etc. So whether we agree with his aesthetic choices or not, when he started going into Yeezy as a brand, there was a large community of people in the fashion world who viewed him as legitimate in that space. So I think that idea of credibility in the area of influence as well mm-hmm. is one that we need to look at because sometimes those kind of brand alignments can misfire if there isn't a real connection between you and the audience in particular in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some WhatsApps coming through 072 You can join this conversation uh, by calling us as well on 11 Hey, good morning, Clem, and thanks for a lovely uh, topic, you know. Interesting, I just want to take us back a little bit. Remember, uh, you know, growing up in the 90s, when you talk about brand and brand association, um, there was uh, the late Joe Mafela and uh, Chicken Licken. You know, at one point, I believe he owns Chicken Licken because they also had something called Stumo Special Burger. Oh, yes. Yeah, so just a question to your guest, the, uh, how far can... Uh, this, the, today's uh, influencers can, can go in terms of association with a brand. You know, sometimes you have the influencer sort of overtaking the brand, which is what I think happened there. Because after Joe Mafela, they sort of lost their plot in terms of how they uh, can get the, the product or the brand out there. Mm. But lovely topic as always. Thanks, Kiki. Ah, Kiki, great contribution there. Tepo, um, can that happen sometimes where the person who is influencing in a sense um f- to give an example of of, of chicken licken then takes over uh, that particular that particular brand what's what's that kind of a lifespan on celebrity associations with brands yeah i mean uh, we see uh, many examples uh, similar to that of uh, uh, joe mafella if you look at a brand such as uh, atlantel and the association with Lillian Dube and Desmond Dube. Mm. Uh, it may be because it's been such a long standing relationship. Um, it may be difficult for anybody to fill the, those shoes uh, into the future. And that brand might find themselves having to do something else. So it's not so much about the individual. I think the performer in Joma Fela was just a great performer. Uh, but in addition, it's not just really about the individual. It's about how the brand makes use of the influencer 
or the celebrity to extend their story. And once that becomes a natural um, association with that specific brand, it may be difficult to actually make them separable. And at some point, you might need to come up with a newer idea in order to sustain your brand story uh, so that the endorsements, as you may have had them, are not necessarily continuing uh, in a classical fashion that they had before, because you would have the main brand competing um, with the absence of uh, a greater um, uh, uh, influencer, a powerful uh, icon, for example, as reference such as Nelson uh, mm. Mandela. But we see that now, you know, with if you look at, at a brand such as uh, um, um, uh, Outsurance and how they parted ways with different uh, type of uh, influencers or mm. celebrities, um, they've now managed to create a space for a much more longevity type of exercise where different uh, influencers, different individuals can come and talk and engage with the brand um, without being almost exclusively associated with the brand to a point where um, if they leave, uh, the brand cannot survive. And and so I think there's, a, there's an opportunity around there, around creativity, yeah. uh, being creative in terms of how we use uh, influential uh, people uh, in endorsing um, our, our brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, another example, when you look at uh, how MTN leverages uh, rugby and Sia Colisi, but they don't stop there and they st- Still continue to build their brand through other uh, mechanism in a more integrated manner, um, and not just focusing on the celebrity mm. or influencer factor. Yeah, Sean in Bryanston. Good morning. Hi, Clement. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I got a, a little bit of a different spin on the whole um, following the, the you know the hero, the mm. podcaster, and that kind of person. I was following a guy after a whole lot of incidents in my life that was very pro-men, um, masculinity, that kind of stuff, and was helping young men to find themselves again. And in that message that he, he was uh, teaching was um, about Islam. He had recently reverted to Islam. You're talking about um, Andrew and, Tate, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Andrew Tate, top G. Um, so he, this year, as about two years ago, I reverted to Islam. Um, I was a terrible Muslim until recently, mm. and this year is my first Ramadan. So, wow. you know, going from a very staunch Christian, mm. um, I, I heard about the message of Islam and how it promotes men and how it's pro-patriarchy and, and the father leading the family and back to traditional kind of concepts. And I was attracted to that. So for the first time in my life as a staunch Christian, mm. um, I, I started investigating about Islam and Via Islam, I feel like I've discovered God again. And um, mm. the miracles in my life is amazing. So wow, all, Sean. all credit to Top G. Yeah, Top G. Okay, Sean, thank you so much for uh, for, for that message. Uh, Sanesh, I mean, it's incredible that it can go as far as influence on religion. So it's not just, you know, the day-to-day things, wearing an item or buying this particular cell phone, getting interested in sport, but something as significant as yeah, religion. Yeah, that's fascinating because uh, I suppose that is, that's the art of being able to connect with people you resonate with. We mm. all look to influencers to connect on some human level or belief level. I mean, I've, I predominantly follow some really interesting podcasters, um, who teach me about business and life. It, it's given a, they've helped to broaden the accessibility to knowledge and experiences that we wouldn't ordinarily have. 
Um, so I, I do find it incredibly fascinating that we can work with influencers to share different aspects of life to enable us to see things differently and connect to the world differently. Mm. People are fillable, uh, Jamie. Mm. So how tricky is it now for, for businesses out there or brands, especially in this age of cancel culture? Mm. Because, um, yeah, you can have someone who is influencing to bring in, you're using your social power to bring in, you know, the numbers in, in whatever way. But what happens if they make a mistake? Yeah, so I think companies have kind of like found a way to mitigate these kind of risks. Firstly, b- based on which influencers they affiliate with, mm. you'll you'll generally find that the big uh, corporate entities with a lot of skin in the game, so to speak, and a lot of litigation risk will avoid certain characters and um, have quick exit strategies when those characters maybe uh, go off script. But there's something that I think is, is worth exploring around the influencers who have created a parallel economy to the economy of... Um, let's call it a uh, big brand uh, advertising. And mm. I think there is an ethical conversation to be heard there because I think we had a conversation about Andrew Tate in passing, mm. which um, was a positive one and people can take different things from different people. But I think you will find that there's an audience which is concerned a lot of times about the ethics mm. and the content of a lot of the characters, you know, um, whether it's Andrew Tate or these other brothers who are very popular, Logan Paul and his brother mm. and some of the things they say and, Part of the of the content that they have is this positive health content and positive male image content. But at the same time, they have this content which uh, creates this um, dichotomy of manhood on the basis of high value, low value, which is often related to income and also then... Um, puts women in positionality mm. where they have to aspire for certain kinds of men who are high value regardless of their ethical framework simply because of the price tag attached to them and it creates this unrealistic um you know relational standards for women and other um you know accusations around uh, toxicity of content but I'm I'm sensitive mm. to the time so I want us to explore it further but I do think that there are genuine concerns around the ethics of this influencer economy and what things they are pushing outside of consumerism. They are these ideals of, um, you know, masculinity, which have to be explored. Mm-hmm. And that takes us to 11.30. The Dialogue with Clement Maniatella. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 7.02. It's 24 minutes before 12 o'clock on our Thursday Dialogue this morning. We've been talking about uh, the business of influencing and brand marketing, whether it's done directly or indirectly by celebrities or high-profile individuals that you admire. And, and I've been asking if you have uh, specifically people you admire, they do something and you go do it because they did it or because they bought it and you want to own it too because they subscribe to certain a certain religion or beliefs or values, you do that because they influence you in that sense. Do you have those? Um, give us a call or send us a WhatsApp voice note on 072-702-1702. Hi Clement, interesting conversation regarding the influence of uh, celebrities or sports people. If you look at Michael Jordan back in the day, Chicago Bulls were on the verge of collapse. Empty, empty stadiums, empty courts, until he came along. And then you had the dream team of him, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, all of those. And then the Chicago Bulls exploded. 
And if you look at Michael Jordan's net worth of the U.S. economy, probably going back 10, 12 years, I was already sitting at $2 billion. That's besides the shoe brand, the Jordans. That's a complete spin-off on its own. So, I mean, ultimately, he's still the GOAT when it comes to that kind of thing. And he's still spending huge money for Nike. But he's, he's curated his brand very well. It's been without controversy, unlike a lot of the other celebrities that you come across. Oh. Uh, good day, Clement, and good day to your guest. Can you please ask your guest, can we call Michael Jordan an endorser or an influencer? And what's the difference between the two? Thanks, David. David, thank you uh, so much. Sanesh, let me start with you. Is there a difference between uh, someone who is an endorser or an influencer? I think they both interchange when you look at the concept, but when you get to the actual space and you get onto the financial details of it, endorsement requires you to be very explicit about what you say, how you say it, where you see it, um, and it comes with a longer-term brand partnership. Whereas influencers, um, the synergy is slightly different. Um, we we look at the creator, what they're great at, and how they can connect with audiences, connect brands with audiences. Um, influencers allow brands the opportunity to have a two-way experience with their product. It's one of the only few channels that we have when we work with influencers to be able to directly engage with consumers. Um, and to the degree in which the partnership exists, it then potentially could become an endorsement depending how much the influencer um you know, creates content around the brand. Um, I just want to flip the coin a little bit on the subject about endorsement and influence. And uh, we talk about all of these creators, influencers, celebrities endorsing brands. But uh, recently I saw a um, an, an article about an, uh, an influencer in India who was taking on a chips brand. So they sell packeted chips. And their brand had particularly uh, changed their changed their marketing strategy to hone in on the ingredients in their product, which claimed to have had lots of health benefits. Mm. And over a period of almost five years back and forth, this influencer was creating content around this brand and other brands, but particularly this chip brand where he called out, how true are your claims? Um, he looked at the ingredients. He even worked with scientists to validate these claims that the, the chip brand was making. Five years later, after many suing and case and court study uh, and, and court appearances, the government in India backed the influencer to actually get the chip company to go back and change their packing and relook at the amount of sugar content in their product. So, yes, as much as influencers and celebrities come into the world to help us buy product, mm. there's also a shift where creators and influencers are doing good in the space to hold companies more accountable accountable and government and driving real change. I want to flip the coin a little bit and, and, and also ask, Sanesh, how do we know that this influencer wasn't influencing for another company to go after this competitor? Um, I think there's a lot of work when it comes to, and I think one of our panelists alluded to this, there's lots of regulation that's still needed when it comes to working with influencers. Yeah. I think 
us as Ogilvy, we pride ourselves, and yes, we've got lots of data tech stacks to help us vet influencers, but there's still a huge human element to to the vetting process. We've seen lately with doctors uh, claiming to be doctors as influencers, mm-hmm. uh, and the tragedy and misconception and misinformation that you know uh, that ensues after that. We spend a lot of time, Clement, making sure that we reach out to creators. We back up who they are, not just using data. So, yes, 100% that work needs to be done to regulate that influencers are vetted and that the information that they share is actually truthful. Yeah. So I I wonder, uh, Jamie, if some people, the celebrities who understand the kind of social power they have, if sometimes they use that influence for social good, or is it only when they are going to be benefiting financially. Um, I'm just thinking, do we have examples, whether locally or internationally, where they do it for good? I mean, we're heading to the elections now, and I've just been watching a number of celebrities. I see many of them who inf- who are trying to get particularly young people to vote are the ones that are doing work for the IEC. Like the IEC mm. has gotten these celebrities to try and, and, and influence their followers to do it. And I'm like... And and I'm sure they are out there, but do we have enough celebrities who also take time to go, these elections are important. Um, and they use that influence and social power to, to get people to register and go vote. You know, interestingly enough, I think we saw a conversation about that happening on a YouTube platform. MacG had a guest speaking about that and you know, saying that the rapper Shebeshit should be involved in this kind of thing because he has the ear of the youth and that would uh, convert more voters. Um, AKA, you know, Kenan Forbes, the late Kenan Forbes, may rest in peace. Mm-hmm. He was involved in Fizma's fall, I think, at one of the uh, critical mm-hmm. moments. I think he was with Simpiwetana and they went and they gave student support. And I think that also raised the profile uh, of the issue. Um, there's an an American YouTuber whose name is Louis, Louis Anthony Rossman. Mm-hmm. And he uh, makes repair videos online. And he actually has been one of the most influential people in getting companies like Apple to make their phones more repairable. Because what has been happening historically is that if your iPhone breaks or your Apple devices break, you have to go to the Apple store and you have to spend a lot of money to get those repairs. But because of the activism of people like um, Rossman, um, there's been a shift now to making devices more repairable and some states in america have actually adopted legislation to do that but there's a there's a point i wanted to make about accountability for influencers broadly as a as a sector i think what happened over time clement is that we removed the role model requirement from celebrity and that was very dangerous and we did it for good reasons you know we said no megan the stallion doesn't have to be a role model nikki binaj doesn't have a role model they can sing their explicit songs and they don't have to worry about the impact on little girls etc cetera, etc cetera. and as we were trying to remove almost what was a double standard right because there wasn't always an expectation for um you know future or anybody like that to have these standards future the rapper what we did is we removed that social shame attached with certain behavior so when influencers became a category unto themselves and may even have become the dominant category driving Mm. consumption there was no longer an expectation from them that they had to maintain uh, moral conduct in society even though they were still you know benefiting from the influence and benefiting from the proceeds of that influence and perhaps what needs to be discussed is how do we reattach that role model requirement to these figures who profit tremendously in their private lives from the status of influencer, you know, and have this great influence, 
but do not always have the accountability mm. which is attached to uh, malpractice if and when it happens because mm. it cannot be reduced to just a social media apology video uh, which oftentimes is all that they ever do and then they mm. continue to profit from their activities. Yeah. Uh, I've got some WhatsApps coming through here. Uh, Lebohang says, good day, Clement. Um, in, when it comes to celebrities who influence me, I like wearing boyfriend jeans because Zonkedi uh, Dikana wears them. Um, it's a pity that I cannot afford the diesel brand. I check her videos out, but uh, she's a huge influencer mm. <laughs> regarding the type of jeans. Uh, that I wear. That's a message from Lebohang Sibeko. Another one says, Hi, Clem. Busi from Waverly here. I think you should start getting commission from exclusive books <laughs> <laughs> because of all the books that I buy because you recommend them. Yeah, go tell exclusive books, please, um, to give me my commission. I co-sign that. I co-sign <laughs> Thank you, thank you for the for the for the for the message, Abusi. It's fourteen minutes now before twelve o'clock. The dialogue with Clement Maniatela. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on seven o two. Thirteen minutes before twelve o'clock, we have been discussing um, the business of influencing and endorsements on our Thursday dialogue this morning. I, I want us to. Do we have examples, Sanesh, locally of, cause, cause sometimes I feel like we don't have the kind of celebrity culture that the U.S. like has. Like in the U.S., if, if people see Kim Kardashian wearing, um, a particular jean that's torn, it's a fashion statement. Like there's no question about it, um, to a point that people pick it up here, even, um, on the continent. And I wonder if we have that kind of culture where, a celebrity, I mean, Lady Gaga, I don't know if you guys have seen this, Jamie and Sanesh, mm. there was a picture of Lady Gaga eating an Oreo biscuit. It went viral. Um, and that was, I mean, it was indirect. I mean, she was just having, enjoying her biscuit and someone snapped her. That went viral and this was some kind of an association <laughs> with Lady Gaga and, and the Oreo biscuits. Did we have that kind of, of culture here, Sanesh? And do we have celebrities who are that influential that they do this or they say this and there's just a legion of fans who who are behind them? Absolutely. I am a huge fan and I really, really have to, uh, you know, give a shout out to the influencers on our continent and in Africa. Um, We're leading the charge in so many ways. Yes, we draw inspiration from global creators, but our creators are doing a phenomenal job. there was an influencer, I think it was last year, a beauty influencer, um, uh, Kay Yams, and she worked with a skincare brand and she posted a picture of her, you know, using, using, using the lotion and, uh, Clement. And I remember this because I used to work for a skincare brand back in the day and there, and I saw this happen and everything was sold off the shelves. They were flying off the shelves. Um, so, uh, that's one example. There's, um, uh, obviously not the greatest one, but the energy drink with checkers, that was an interesting example, reigning in the attention of Gen Zs. We absolutely have a pull factor in South Africa. Our influencers have the potential to um, inform audiences, influence audiences, to drive sales and create real business impact for brands. Uh, Jamie? 
So, I mean, the interesting example that I think exists is Galaxy Boy. You know, I was not paying attention to this particular brand, Mm -hmm. but um, in the youth culture, you know, that uh, 18 to 20, let's say 15 to 25 demographic, this brand took off and people were spending a lot of money on it and it was it's a local brand they were being influenced uh to 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 procure it mm-hmm. the other the other thing is well, what is the name of this um cooler box that everyone has been buying um what's the name of this this this, this, this the bar one yes the yeah, field bar there field you go bar, yes. so th- there's been I a lot of it. myself <laughs> well Everybody i don't want to, <laughs> yes yes at a certain aesthetic and if you if you go out yeah. to those places you need one um so that's an example right but what i think we saw and i studied this in business school for a brief period of time is that mm-hmm. we don't have the same kind of community longevity in certain spaces because you see Rihanna, Taylor Swift, all of the people we were speaking about, Kanye West, they have large communities of fan bases that stay loyal to them throughout the times. But if you look at brands like Lockshin Culture, which is the one I studied oh at business school, goodness. right? One of the things that happened is it had this large following. And then what happened is people moved on. So the South African brand loyalty is fickle. And I think we loved Lockshin culture. We did. What happened? So so the study revealed that, that it was that brand loyalty issue, uh, right? It wasn't so much anything else because they had differentiated, they had captured uh, the market. And even if you think about Amakip Kip and all of that, there is a fickleness in the brand uh, nature. And it even affects artists as well. If you think about Nati and his first album when it came out, how big resounding it was but yeah. his second effort the audience had moved on and they hadn't created an identity between themselves and him to the point where they said no we will always support nati and that is one of the challenges i think that exists in the south african influencer community is that it's mostly moments but it's not necessarily community and that is the limitation i think mm. that exists right now in that space. So how do we then, uh, Sanesh, build this strong brand association to ensure that there is longevity? Because if you are relying on the key moments, um, as, as Mighty suggests, uh, you know, sometimes that doesn't work. That's very true. And I agree that community around a brand is so important uh, to have that longevity. And I think the big call out, and we do a lot of work to educate our clients about this, is to make sure that you don't do one-hit wonder campaigns. Consumers see through that and consumers are, uh, are, you know, don't appreciate when brands leverage influences, uh, just to create a hit on a sale. It's being able to take someone on a journey and have long-term partnerships. Creators have so much more to offer. Influencers have so much more to offer. They understand their audiences. They understand how to build a community around a brand. That's how they became influencers. They have a community of uh, fans and followers that engage with them. They know the type of content uh, that their audiences want to see and how they want to see it. And that's where brands must learn to find ways to leverage this in the long term to have impact over a period of time. Mm, yeah. I, I notice, Maishi, that we haven't spoken about yeah. Beyonce. Why? <laughs> I mean, isn't she a trailblazer? I know she doesn't do a lot of influence and mm. stuff, but she is quite influential. She is. She is. Beyonce is influential. And some of her, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle decisions, etc. you can see people influenced by them. Mm. The Beyonce aesthetic even in and of itself. You know, she revolutionized the body type that was the quintessential uh, aspiration, you know. I mean, Kim Kardashian also gets some of that credit, but it was Beyonce who brought mm. in Bootylicious as a standard of aspiration and mm. shifted away from 
uh, does my butt look big in these mm. jeans to I need my butt to look she big even in these jeans. Even dancers, yes, who looked like that and true, true. So, so what I want to say with Beyonce is that she's still very influential in concert culture, mm. right? Beyonce, mm. the entertainer, remains unrivaled, mm. right? She can go and make. 300 million in, a, in six months from that space where sometimes she has struggled to cross over is outside of that concert space because the Beyonce community, when it comes to Beyonce tickets, they will buy them and they will buy them at whatever price they're going mm. for. Mm. She will always be a moneymaker in that respect, but she has struggled to share enough of her lifestyle to create communities outside of that. But if you look at the, the brands associated with her concerts, you know, the aesthetics associated with the concert, because there is an aesthetic now to go to certain Beyonce concerts. You have to dress flamboyant. You have yeah. to have... She can, a theme. She can influence in those spaces, but the challenge is she has not really moved out beyond those spaces. And partly it's because Beyonce shares very small slices mm, of, her life. of her life. So it's very difficult for a, a fan base to start attaching you know, particular purchase decisions to Beyonce herself. And that's where the challenge has been. Whereas if you look at Kim Kardashian or Rihanna, they overshare. Everything. And, and they because they do, you can buy into some of their lifestyle. Because you see them in their home, you see them everywhere. And you're like, yeah, uh, Kim Kardashian dresses like this. I will buy skims. Uh, Rihanna mm -hmm. dresses in this underwear. I will buy this particular underwear. Or she uses this makeup. And we've seen it's created billion-dollar businesses for them mm -hmm. because of that proximity between the, the performer and the, the person. But with Beyonce, there's a bit of a wall and she only takes down that wall in the concert space, which mm. is why she when will remain. When she's releasing a documentary. There and you also go. Also, she gives you... I mean, did you watch the Renaissance, uh, Renaissance movie? Uh, no, Renaissance I didn't. Renaissance movie. Oh. Like she just gives you a little bit. Yeah, it slices. Like, it slices, slices, she's slices. She's with like, that part. Come on. But did you see now she's into... Like she's doing, she did a country. Yes, yes, I saw the country. But did, well. did you see the the audience loves Beyonce, the the entertainer? Yeah. And I think if she had opened spaces where even when she came and said, "I I work out, I do all of this aesthetic, uh, you know, this athletic stuff," people were like, "Really? Yeah. <laughs> We've never seen, seen you." Exactly. And yeah. that was the challenge with the Ivy Park launch. There, there was also a challenge with the colorways and stuff like that because mm -hmm. the colors were weird. But you need to connect your lifestyle to the audience in the space that you want to influence them in order for them to be influenced. It's like you with books. People know that you're an intellectual. They know that you're a reader. So if you say, I read this interesting book, every South African writes down in their phone or their paper, uh, must go to exclusive books and buy this book. Yeah. So there has to be a connection and a relationship. So Nesh, will you be negotiating with exclusive books for me to get my commission? <laughs> I'll call you after this. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys, for, for making time for us. Um, I appreciate it. Um, Jamie Mighty, social commentator, um, and Sanesh Maharaj, who is the head of PR, consumer, and influence at Ogilvy. Thank you guys for making time for us. Pleasure.